0: Good morning, Colonial Woods. How's everybody doing today? I think think you're there. I think you're there. Look at a neighbor and say, get ready for an adventure, right? Do that real quick. Get ready for an adventure. We're going to go on a ride together this morning as we begin a new series on uh, Daniel, Stubborn Prayer. He still prays. And we'll be introducing Project 613 this morning, but I'm excited to to begin this journey this morning. If you're uh, joining at home, I'm so excited you're with us as well. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Daniel chapter 6, verse 13. That's where we're going to headquarter today. Daniel is a book that over the last number of years has become very uh, special to me. In fact... I probably did my major study in the book of Daniel about 21 years ago Which is why 20 years ago in about four months when our son Wesley was born We were looking for a middle name now The reason we were looking for a middle name is that I was convinced Wesley was going to be a girl He was our third child. I just knew he was gonna be a little girl And so uh, I we never really spent any time thinking about a middle name and lo and behold he obviously he's not a girl and he surprised us and so as we're in the delivery room post-birth Tammy and I are talking about it. she goes what are we going to name him what's his middle name and I said I, I don't know I had I was sure he was going to be a little girl and so I I just started going through the bible and I I thought uh, I'm going to go ahead with uh, what a- Adam Adam has a good name but nah, I don't think that's it and and Abel well, we know what happened to him because of Cain and so now nah, I'm probably going to do that Seth that's a good name Noah uh Moses ah, Daniel a man highly esteemed by God. I said, what a great name. A man who God himself, his angelic uh, announcers called Daniel and say that he's highly esteemed. I figure anybody who's called highly esteemed by God, by God himself, that's a pretty great name. And uh, so we named Wesley, Wesley Daniel Whetstone. That was 20 plus years ago. Ten years ago. I began to see and began to study the cultural relevancy of the book of Daniel. And today what we want to do is we want to talk about the prayer relevancy in the book of Daniel. Because we don't always get what we pray for. Or we don't always get answers as quickly as we'd like. How many of you ever prayed for something and you, it, it has bewildered you why it took so long to answer or you still haven't received an answer that you wanted? We've all had it. We've all had something we prayed for. Can't understand why that's happened. And so, hence the idea of stubborn prayer. Now, when we look in the book of Daniel, you always think to yourself, well, here's a guy who always got what he asked for. But understand, we only see a few what we would call successes in the book of Daniel. Here's a guy who almost 90 years was serving the Lord, 70 plus years he was serving in world empires in the highest uh, administrative areas. And we only see just a few nuggets of answered prayer and we need to remind ourselves that there was a lot of empty space in between there and when you get into the book of Daniel chapter 6 I think it's kind of the epitome of the book of Daniel if you went to Sunday school at all as a kid or vacation Bible school likely in the book of Daniel there's two stories that you primarily know and this one in chapter 6 is the main one it is Daniel in the lion's den And if you think about it the way that I thought about it as a kid, is that you've got this young teenage boy thrown into the lion's den because he's not willing to to pray to any other god other than to the God of heaven. But by the time you get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is now actually in his mid early to mid-80s. Over 70 years, he has served at least five different kings. He has been in at least two world empires in the upper administration. He is now serving a man in the Medo Persian Empire, the King Darius. And interestingly, Darius actually liked Daniel. In fact, he liked Daniel so much because he saw that he was trustworthy, he was honest, he was great at his job, and he never cheated anyone. And so Darius was going to put Daniel in charge of every other administrator, according to Daniel 6, so that he would not suffer loss. And if you happen to be one of those administrators who did like to take advantage of the system, You like to peel a little bit off the top. You don't like that a whole lot. You don't want an honest guy being your boss. And so they began to orchestrate a way to be able to make basically false claims against Daniel. But the guy had such high integrity, nothing could come against him. Nothing would stick. And there is something about being a person of integrity, a person of character, that doesn't mean you'll never have stuff thrown at you, but it doesn't tend to stick. And it's interesting, they realized that if they were going to really have any accusation against him, they're going to have to change the rules, and the rules would have to be according to his, 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 the one thing he was infallible at, or that he tended to do an awful lot, was to worship his God. And so they went to King Darius, and they said, King Darius, we've got a great idea because you're such an awesome king. You ought to make an edict and a rule and a law that basically says for 30 days no one can pray to any other God or any other person other than to you. Darius was feeling pretty good about himself, and he says, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And Daniel, in response to this unfair law, does what Daniel has likely done his entire life. He goes home, and he prays. In fact, it says he prays three times a day just like he did before. This was the consistency of his life. Whether things were going positively, when things were going negatively, his response was just simply prayer. His life was permeated in prayer. And so the administrators came to him, took him under control, took him to Darius, said Darius this guy was praying and here's where we come to chapter 6 verse 13. That's where we find ourselves. Here's what it says. Daniel chapter 6 verse 13. It says, um, "Oh, king, Oh, it says uh, uh, they said to the king, Daniel who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, this week I was preparing to preach out of Daniel 6. I was preparing to, hold, to dissect the whole passage, but I kept coming back to why is it that when Daniel was faced with personal attack, he prayed. When, when Daniel was faced with an unfair law, he prayed. In fact, I kind of see it this way, is that whereas when he first was taken into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, he would have been somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age, over the course of time, things just didn't seem like they rattled him that much. Why is it that his response was to pray? And, I, and as you go through the book of Daniel, it's because Daniel had a worldview that understood a few things. And I want, to, I want to give you this as a basis for this entire series. And then next week, we kind of really dig into this thing. The first thing that Daniel understood is that there are earthly kingdoms. And earthly kingdoms rise and fall, come and go. In fact, in the book of Daniel, there are at least five kingdoms that we see, or at least five earthly kingdoms that Daniel sees. Daniel has seen the uh, kingdom of Israel destroyed under King Jehoiakim, the southern kingdom specifically. He's taken into captivity in the Babylonian Empire to King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a son that you don't even actually see mentioned in here because he's out constantly at war. And so his son, Belshazzar, is actually the one that Daniel talks about. We see him also under King Sirius in the Persian Empire. We see him under Darius in the Persian Empire. He also talks about the Greek empire. He sees it in a vision in chapter two. He also sees the Roman empire and he sees the destruction and the breakup of the Roman empire. He sees at least what? Five, six, seven, eight earthly kingdoms. All of them came. All of them were powerful and all of them went. And he also understood that earthly kingdoms, whether they come and go, they will always try to squeeze you into its own mold. Tremendous pressure. That's where we get into chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 1, and you'll notice that when Daniel is taken into the Babylonian captivity, it immediately tries to conform him into its culture. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now watch this. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Israel, into a secular, non-religious king's hands. Why? Because Jehoiakim represented a nation, a nation that had gone astray from the Lord, and the Lord was going to use even a secular king to show discipline into the life of the israelites the purpose of it by the way was to bring the israelites back into relationship with the lord god doesn't discipline people just to discipline people just because he wants to be mean god disciplines us as children what to bring us nearer to him to help us to understand we we've got to come closer to him and daniel is now paying the penalty for something somebody else did and they carried off the items to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put, them in the tre- uh, he put them in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. Say that with me, would you? Three years. They were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Now, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Daniel, by the way, whose name means God is my judge, his name was changed to Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, it means that um, it it calls on a false god. Bel is my protector. The god Bel is my protector. To Hananiah, he gave the name Shadrach. To Mishael, he gave Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Let's stop there. Now, if you have a note sheet with you, you will see this. If you're at home, you can get them online as well if I gave you kind of the systematic way that the Babylonian Empire tries to squeeze you into its mold, what's interesting is that it's not just the Babylonian Empire. Every earthly empire tries to squeeze you into its mold. And the first thing that you notice in this passage is they chose the best and the brightest, right? These were individuals that were that were intelligent, they were they were good looking, they were hot, if you want to put it in that vernacular. In fact, you just put that in your Bible. They were hot, okay? They were hot. They were good looking. They 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 were individuals who came from really well-off families, nobility, so to speak. Why? Because He understood that if you want to try to get an entire group of individuals, get the leaders among them first. A lot of people think the Babylonian Empire just happened like this. It actually came in waves. The first time that, that Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and came into Israel, he deported, but it was actually done pretty peacefully. He, just, he took some of the best and the brightest. The idea is that if he could sway those who were leaders in their culture to go back, they then could sway the rest of the culture but because Israelites proved to be a little bit stubborn, he then went in the second time and destroyed the city. He destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. And the third time he deported the rest of them. So you saw these mass deportations take several, several times. That leads us to number two. They would always try to separate people from their system of support. Their culture, their beliefs, their religious support, and their families. If you were to take a 13 to a 15 year old young man or woman out of this culture today, out of this, out of this uh, church, how would they do? If their mom and dad, if they're taken out of your influence, if they are no longer surrounded by individuals who are trying to encourage them in their faith, if if they are now what learning their, another language so that they almost learn or or, or lose the language of their culture? See, Nebuchadnezzar understood that over a course of time, if you just consistently keep incrementally changing things, after a while you're going to get them. That's why it took three years. In fact, you're going to notice that that gradually he introduces them to a new religious way of thinking um they 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 tend to focus more on magic and on astrologers instead of serving what a priesthood you'll notice it later in this passage how they call the uh, the magicians to be the wise men of the whole area it's 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 now a mystical thing now it's a magical thing it's not a it's not a god who gives insight it's not a god who gives wisdom you'll notice that he changes their names I already gave you one, Daniel, God is my judge. They changed his name is to Bel is my protector. So now every time Daniel is spoken to, it's Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar. Bel is your protector. Bel is the affirmation that comes, what? 10, 20, 100, 200 times a day is that Bel is your protector. Bel is your protector. In fact, each one of the young men had a name change. All of their names mentioned God Jehovah as being either their judge, their provider, or their protector. All of them were given four, or given uh, uh, Babylonian names that meant that there was a false god, a moon god, bell. Some other god was now their provider, their protector. And if you hear that over and over, even the food they ate, because in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish religion, food is a really big deal now I say that because food's a big deal to me but it's not part of what I believe it's not part of my worship we were uh, talking to a group of individuals who were interested going on our trip next year to Israel thursday night and uh so we were talking and we were talking about the food that you eat and somebody uh later we're talking to my wife and i and they said hey how's the food and that kind of thing and tammy went to israel at a different time than i did i actually i went to israel so many years ago that that moses was actually my tour guide that's been a long time it's been a long time but I, I it was really funny I still remember the food uh it was uh, uh it was kind of like uh it, it got me excited uh it, but but it's interesting Tammy went this last year and it's interesting she was mentioning the food and she said you know they only serve certain foods at certain meals and I said well you know what it is usually dairy is only served at the morning meal and the reason for it is i said it actually comes out of the book of leviticus i said it's a levitical rule you cannot cook um a beef or an animal in the milk of its mother and so it's considered disrespectful and dishonoring to that life and so they tend to serve dairy at one meal but they won't they won't have any beef or anything like that and there's never pork right because pork is, is part of it. hey gentiles we can eat bacon right but but the but the but in the jewish system food is very much so when daniel sees this food it's as if they're saying every time you eat we want you to go against what you believe and it may not seem like a big deal but you do that three days in or three years in and out in and out daniel understood there are earthly kingdoms and they come and they go and they rise and they fall but he also understood number two There are heavenly kingdoms. Daniel gives us one of the best and first insights into the heavenly realm that we see anywhere in the Old Testament and I would dare say even the New Testament. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is now in his 80s and he gets a vision from God of an upcoming war and it deeply disturbs him and he wants to have insight and so Daniel looking for wisdom and insight has learned that when he goes to his heavenly father for wisdom and insight God will give him insight and in chapter 10 he not only prays but he fasts for 21 days And for 21 days, he fasts and he prays. He prays and he fasts. And fasting always goes hand in hand with prayer because fasting is not just giving up food or giving up something for a period of time. It's always giving it up for a purpose. And the purpose is seeking God in prayer. And so as he's fasting and as he's praying he sees another image of a man on the bank. Now, the man turns out to be an angel. And then the angel comes to him and says, I'm here to answer your question, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 10, verse 10. Look what it says. And a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and my knees, and he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed... Consider carefully the words that I'm about to speak for you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this, I stood up, trembling, and then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. From the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Now, when were his words heard? Anybody? First day. He's now on day 21. He says, Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there by the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time that is yet to come and while I was saying this I bowed with my face toward the ground and I was speechless now what we begin to see in the book of Daniel is one of the first images and the understandings that we get in all of scripture of the heavenly warfare that takes place day by day there are earthly kingdoms there is flesh and blood, and earthly kingdoms rise and fall. But just as there is a heavenly kingdom, or as there's an earthly kingdom, there's a heavenly warfare that's taking place. And what you see is one angelic being who was given. And by the way, the word angel, angelos, means messenger. One of the primary functions of angels in Scripture are to actually give answers or to deliver messages right we see the angels speaking to mary we see the angels speaking to joseph so angels one of their primary besides being protective and besides uh interceding uh in the heavenlies one of the primary works and functions of angels is simply to be a messenger and he says i was sent with an answer 21 days ago but i was detained by the prince of persia Now, we want to be really careful not to formulate an entire doctrine based on one passage, but when you take this passage, put it together with the rest of the book of Daniel, and you take that which is unclear in Scripture, and you take that which is clear in Scripture to understand it, we begin to see that the prince of Persia is referring to an angelic being, but this is not a positive angelic being, because the enemy himself has angelic beings that are, are as part of his army, And so it takes Michael, Michael you will find throughout scripture, is the angel whose duty it is is to oversee the nation of Israel. He is the chief prince or one of the chief princes. And his role is to be the interceder or the protector of Israel. And so what you see happening here is that there's a warfare going on in heaven. Now, I got to be honest with you. I am not going to be the most astute student on this one. There are people even within this church who understand the dynamics of spiritual warfare far better than I understand. In fact, there's almost a gifting in that. But I understand enough about the angelic warfare or the heavenly warfare to know that when I do battle in the heavens, it has an impact on the earthly. And if I want to have an impact against an unfair law, Paul says that our struggle, chapter 6, Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood. My enemy is not the person across the hall. My my enemy is not flesh and blood. What he says is our war, Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms he in every one of those instances is describing a heavenly warfare he says our battle is not going to be flesh and blood now that doesn't mean i don't engage in the earthly nehemiah held a sword right so he engaged in the earthly he did battle in the heavenly did you catch that picture We engage in the earthly. You do battle in the heavenly. I I love that uh, song. I don't know if any of you heard it. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. We're going to sing it one of these days, I think, coming up here. But I fight my battles. Why? Because the Lord is able to intercede, and there is this warfare that's going on. And I don't always understand it. But when when um, when there is a prodigal child, when there is a marriage that is disintegrating, It is more than simply what is happening here that is causing that. I need to intercede. I engage in the physical, but I need to intercede in the heavenly. And Daniel understood that. Daniel over and over consistently throughout his life said, you know what? Kingdoms come and go. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall. Nebuchadnezzar made a really unfair law. The unfair law is if nobody can tell me not just what my dream meant, but if you can't tell me what the dream was without me telling it to you, you're all going to be put to death. That is unfair. What did Daniel do? Go into the heavenly. Over and over throughout the book, when you see that there is an earthly conflict, there is a heavenly war that takes place psalm 35 it is an incredible book written by david and david is under attack he's under physical attack he is under an unfair attack he is, his very character is being assassinated and what does he do goes to the heavenly and does war in the heavenly and there's an incredible lesson for us this is such a relevant word Engage in the earthly, do war in the heavenly. Number three, the third thing that Daniel understood is there is only one enduring kingdom. And it is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of Jehovah God. It is the kingdom of Elohim, the God who is the creator God. It is the kingdom of Jehovah Jireh. It is the kingdom of El Roy, the God who sees me. That's the only enduring kingdom. In fact, Daniel sees it and Nebuchadnezzar is so impacted by it that even Nebuchadnezzar sees it. He said that in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says that this final kingdom, this final kingdom, it will crush all those other kingdoms kingdoms and bring them to an end and itself will endure forever. Daniel chapter 7 verse 26 to 27. This kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar after he's gone insane and then after the Lord brings him back in his humility he acknowledges that his kingdom is an eternal kingdom and there is such a powerful lesson. Can I just tell you So many times we think that earthly is the biggest challenge. You know what? 500 years ago, the biggest empire in the world was the British Empire. And 1,000 years ago, it was the Roman Empire. And by the way, the Roman Empire fell apart. And 2,300 years ago, it would have been the Greek Empire. And the Greek Empire fell apart. And 2,400 years ago, it was the Medo-Persian Empire. 2,500 years ago, it was the Babylonian Empire. You can go back over everything. by the way, empires rise and fall. They endure, I'll tell you what, one of the primary things is when they acknowledge God is sovereign and God is in control. God determines. That's why I can say things like, well, you know what? We may have somebody on the throne, but God, or we might have somebody in in, um, in in a position of influence, but God is still always on the throne. You engage in the earthly, but you do war in the heavenly. And it makes all the difference in the world. And you're saying, so what? That was a nice little teaching, Professor Phil. What what does that mean for us? As we begin this series, whether it be family, whether it be work, whether it be culture, whether it be country, whether it be in our community, there were some resounding things that just came out to me. Number one, Babylon was thoroughly secular, but Daniel was still able to have a God-honoring influence. There's one of the reasons that I love Daniel so much. It's one of the reasons that I love Joseph so much. In fact, three of my favorite characters in the Old Testament are Daniel, Joseph, and Esther. Because they are men and women who are in positions of influence, but they are not the king. They are in key critical positions that God uses to influence an entire culture because of their God-honoring influence. And we live in a secular world We live, let's just be honest, we live in a secular country. Now, you may buck back against that, we do. But God allows us to have God honoring influences, and they make huge differences. You may work in a secular business but you can have a God-honoring influence and you may go to a secular school but you can you can be a light and a God-honoring influence into that number two even though Daniel lived in a secular world God was still able to give him favor in that world Ashpenaz showed him favor Nebuchadnezzar showed him favor Belshazzar showed him a little different kind of favor. Darius and uh, Cyrus, they all showed him favor. Even the the guy who was in charge, the guard in chapter 2, or in chapter 1, the guard who was in control of the... It says, and he showed him favor. Nehemiah was a man who served under King Artaxerxes, and yet God gave him favor with a secular king. Just because something is secular does not mean that God is not sovereign over that. Please hear that. God is still sovereign. Can I just tell you, God is still in control even over something that looks secular. And number three, that while Daniel lived in the earthly kingdom, Daniel's heart belonged to the enduring kingdom and it absolutely led him his entire life. He knew where his heart was. He knew where his devotion was. And oh, by the way, chapter 6, verse 13, let's look at it again. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Why? Why? Because his heart didn't belong to that kingdom. His heart belonged to the enduring kingdom. He does not listen to you or pay attention to you, O King, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And so we were sitting around as a a team talking about this series and, and someone said, you know, it'd be really great if we could put a prayer challenge together for our congregation. And I don't know who it was that said it, so I can't give credit to it. But we came up with, well, Daniel 6.13 is the key passage. How about Project 6.13? At 6.13, every day, we call our people to prayer. At 6.13 a.m. and 6.13 p.m., I say that because some of you didn't realize 6.13 comes twice a day. I set my alarm for both already. Just a little ding, 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 ding. If you're in a meeting with me, it's going to go off. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray. And whatever it is that your heart is broken for this morning, some of your hearts are broken for culture. I really believe that. Your heart is just burdened for culture. Begin to go to prayer for our culture. Begin to go to prayer for our country because I know there are many hearts that are broken for our country today. Some of you are broken for our, our community or your corporate world, or the business that you're a part of, or your your job place, or your family, or your marriage, or your kids engage, right? You've got to engage in the earthly, but do war in the heavenly. And what would happen if 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people just simply committed that at 613, I'm hitting my knees, I'm bowing my head, and I'm going to pray and lay a hold in the heavenlies for that which I want to see God do in the earthly. Maybe you're looking for spiritual insight and wisdom and for your own life. Maybe you're looking for a direction or an answer. Maybe maybe for you, you're looking for an awakening in your own soul. And at 6.13, I'm going to grab a hold of the throne of heaven and do battle in the heavenly to engage in the earthly to see the enduring kingdom come, the enduring will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So Father, this morning, thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge of your word. I think of the words traditionally anyway of your prayer, Lord, when you said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven thy kingdom come thy will be done in my marriage here on earth as it is in heaven would you bring your will to my marriage would you bring your will to my personal walk would you bring your will into my private devotional life would you bring your will into my workplace would you bring your will into this church would your anointing fall in this place Lord as you begin to pour yourself out as individuals simply as it says in first Corinthians chapter what is it 14 how they come in and fall down and say God he is here because your presence permeates this place. Would your kingdom come, your will be done in our country, in our culture here on earth as it is in heaven because you are the God who is able in the, and I don't understand everything that's happening, but I know this, there is a war that is going on and it is not flesh and blood. And so Father, in Jesus' name we who are called by your name we come before you and intercede and ask that Lord we would see you break in to these earthly areas and bring your will and have your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.